0: I want to read from John's gospel. We've been spending a whole lot of time in John chapter 15. We're back there again today. Just, it's, it's just one of those rich, rich, deep passages. And today as we read this, I, I want us to think about what it is to be friends with God and what friendship looks like here between Christians, um, A friend of mine, Alan Emerson, a couple of years ago, he he said to me, he said, you know, make sure you pursue friendship, not function. And that's the title for today's um, sermon, this, this teach friendship, not function. So listen now for God's word. John chapter 15 from verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another or love each other, depending on how you want to read that. Let's pray for a second, and then we're going to lean into these words. God, your Spirit is here with us in this room, and we welcome you. And as we wait before you, we again recognize our own sinfulness and unworthiness. And we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness that makes us new every day. Holy Spirit, we pray, speak to us. Allow these these ancient words, these living words to become alive in us and shape and mold and sanctify us into the people that you are inviting us to become as we walk in the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. The people of God said, Amen. Amen. There we go. So, Don't change the slide just yet, Andrew. Just hang on to that one there for a second, um, because I want to ask the guys something. Um, Have you ever seen a video video of the comedian Joe Wilkinson trying to put put a potato into a hole at the end of a red carpet? Some of you have. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? How would you feel if I asked you to make up a song for a stranger and sing it to them in 30 minutes? how much watermelon could you eat in four minutes? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Taskmaster, yeah, yeah, a couple of fans there. Uh, This TV show that started off as a YouTube channel, a bit of an experiment at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, um, got its own YouTube channel and then got picked up by mainstream TV and has become one of the most popular shows on TV in the past number of years where a group of celebrity comedians are set a series of tasks that they have to complete. And if you haven't watched it, it's just hilarious and bonkers and strange. Um, why, Why am I talking about that? Why am I starting to talk about that? Because I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about other things that we watch on TV, and whether it's a quiz program or whether it's X Factor or whether it's whatever... There's this growing sense, or maybe I've just become more aware of it, that we find entertainment in viewing individuals as commodities and not as personalities. Your value is tied up in what you know on the game show. Your value is tied up on how funny you are. Your value is tied up on what you can achieve. Your value is tied up in how you make me feel And increasingly, we find entertainment in viewing humanity as commodities out there for our purpose and our fulfillment and our advancement, rather than fellow human beings created in the image of God. Now, maybe that's pushing the whole thing too far, but it's interesting to think about, isn't it? As we think about this idea of friendship, our function, and the people we choose to spend time with, how they make me feel or what they can do do for me or how you can elevate my status or my career or the things that I want to do. Whether it's kids picking football teams in the playground, I was always picked last, not because I wasn't a really nice person, but because I was rubbish at football. Salaam, unfortunately. Um, right through into career and maybe even in our worst moments around church. Do you ever feel that you get looked over because you're not the best at something? And even in terms of when we put something on Twitter or Facebook, we we, we tag people in it because we want them to like it. And sometimes we, we tag people in it because we want them to follow us to elevate our social standing because we view friendship through the lens of function sometimes. I was thinking about this and sort of unpacking this in my mind. And sometimes we view God like that as well through that lens, God, I've got these plans. Will you show up and bless them, please? Or we come to a business meeting in church and we say, here's our agenda. And at the end of it, we pray, and God, you'll please bless the things that we've decided. Or we're running a ministry program and we have everything planned out. And we say, God, will you just sort of come by your spirit and bless everything that we have planned to do? Or God, can you please just help me with this job interview or or this relationship or this. And we view God through a lens, not a friendship, but a function. What can he do for me to make my life more fulfilled, more complete, better? And maybe as well, in our worst moments, we think that God looks at us in that way as well. That he looks at you, he looks at me simply through a lens of achieving our purpose and not through an invitation into a deep, life-giving, mutual friendship. That's what we're going to lean into this morning. Because, you know, in Greek law, a slave was classified as a living tool. He said it again, in Greek law, a slave was classified as a living tool. at the same level as a hammer or a rake or a brush or a lawnmower. A slave was classified as a living tool. And in this passage, that starts off in John 15, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. As you read down through it, in verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. There's a change. And he wants us very intentionally to see that invitation, not into function, but into Friendship with him. And so what is friendship with Jesus? What does that look like? What is this passage? Because we're going to try and stay within the confines of this text the day as we preach. But what is the invitation into friendship with Jesus? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I I think first and foremost, it has to be marked by sacrifice. Verse... 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I love how the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, as he talks about the suffering servant, as he prophesies about Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world and the ministry that he'll have and what he will do. I I love what he says here. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And love that passage, that prophecy, looking ahead to what Jesus will do, that his life and his ministry is marked by sacrifice, that God came into the world in his son to take up your sin and take up your brokenness and take up our our sickness and to bring it to the cross. And, And as he is pierced, he carries that with him. He pays the price for that. And in the moment that Jesus dies on the cross, we find forgiveness, we find healing as He deals with the eternal consequences of those things in that moment on the cross. And as Jesus dies on the cross, and then three days later is raised back to life, that's what we talk about when we talk about an invitation to become a Christian, is an invitation into that sacrifice that Jesus has has done on the cross for you and for me. And it's an invitation into friendship with him. It's not enough just to get the theology behind it. It's an invitation to know him because what he has done is he's taken everything that that stands between us and God, he's taken that out of the way, put that onto himself and said, come into a life-giving friendship with me, the living God. So friendship with Jesus is, first of all, marked and characterized by by the sacrifice of Jesus. Another thing we see in this passage that that friendship with Jesus looks like, and this is all from his perspective coming to us, it's time. Friendship with Jesus looks like time, looks like availability. You ever phone somebody, phone your boss, or, or phone somebody and say, you know, can I get a meeting or appointment with that person and they say, no, he's too busy. She's too busy. Can't do it. Or or I can schedule you in in three weeks time. Jesus never does that. Listen to this here. John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And we talked a couple of weeks ago how one of the primary paradigms Lenses, experiences of the love of God is time with God. And what Jesus is saying is that every time you close your eyes to pray, every time you lift your eyes to heaven and cry out and worship, every time you, you look to him for help, he is there. He doesn't schedule you in. God's desire, his love is time with you. He has done everything He can to make Himself available to you. As a Christian, His Spirit lives within you. You don't need to go looking for Him. Friendship with Jesus looks, from Jesus' perspective, like time He is available to you 24-7. Friendship with Jesus looks like honesty. You ever see Jesus with His friends? There's honesty in the conversation. Let's go back into verse 2 of this John 15 passage. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. One, One of the things we've seen during the pandemic as we've come back into church is that not everybody has come back. Now, this is not knocking some of you guys at home because I know you're at home for really legitimate reasons. But it's thinking about people who sat in these seats who, over the past two years, have slowly disconnected from church. And there's been all kinds of reasons for that. But one of the reasons, perhaps, is there's been a nominalness to their faith. And there's been a pruning. Now, I'm not saying we, we forget about them, I think we reach out and invite them back in and try to love them back into the church. But I think this passage is actually talking about something even deeper than that. Do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples? And there was a moment when he, one minute was encouraging Peter, and then he turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Don't be a stumbling block to me. Jesus has been telling them that that he is the son of man, that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die and then three days later be raised back to life. It's one of the times that Jesus is preparing them for the sacrifice in his ministry. And Peter's like, wise up. It's not going to happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Your words are a stumbling block because they speak to the fears in me and the doubts in me. Jesus prunes him, rebukes him, That when you come into friendship with Jesus, you have to be prepared for not just loving acceptance and forgiveness, but you have to be prepared for discipline as well. For for Jesus speaking words to you that you find hard to hear because they require change in you. But it's always done in the context of arms around you. Always done in the context of loving friendship. Always done in the context of the best for you. Friendship with Jesus is marked by sacrifice. It's marked by time. It's marked by honesty. It's marked by vulnerability. Look at this here. This is mad. So verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants or slaves because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends for everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Everything I have made, I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Isn't that incredible when you think about it? That Jesus hasn't held anything back. He's what, what, what he knows about God and about God's mission plan, the Father's mission plan, restoration plan in the world today, he has released and revealed to the disciples through the Word of God and by his Holy Spirit. The friendship with God looks like a vulnerability in God saying, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I go- want to do, and he entrusts. His plans to you and to me, His people. God takes His plans and His purposes and He reveals them to you and to me. And when you do that, you run the risk of of rejection, you run the risk of getting laughed at, you run the risk of getting scoffed at. But the Father, through the Son, reveals to you and me, his plans, his purposes, his dreams, his desires for his creation, for his church, for the communities around the church. And the risk that we might say no, we might opt out, we might laugh, we might ridicule. Whenever you reveal your dreams and desires to somebody else, you run the risk that they will be cruel with those. There's a vulnerability required to open yourself up and to be that honest. God, in his friendship with us, opens himself up and is completely honest and vulnerable before us. Sacrifice, time, honesty, vulnerability, and then partnership. Jesus says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This isn't simply Jesus' mission. The invitation from Jesus into friendship with the living God is an invitation into partnership. He he does stuff in us he, he he his sacrifice brings about our forgiveness he is completely available to us in terms of time and devotion and love and relationship he he is honest with us in terms of speaking into the disobedient parts of our lives for our sanctification. He is vulnerable before us in that he reveals his plans and his purposes for his church and for his kingdom and for our lives to us, all because he invites us into partnership with us. God's plan for the restoration of East Belfast or the churches in East Belfast, he doesn't have a B plan. His plan for Orby and Clondough and Clarawood and Grosvenor School and Orangefield Primary and Ashfield and Breda, for the nursing homes in the area, for the shops in the area, for the restoration, for the coming of his kingdom, is you and is me. And he doesn't have a B plan. Friendship with the living God is an invitation into partnership with him as we become kingdom carriers and move out of this building carrying his spirit and his plans, and his purposes, and seeing them come to fruition, fruit that will last. That is what this text is saying. This, I want to suggest really strongly this morning, is what friendship with the living God looks like. This is what friendship with Jesus looks like. And then what's fascinating is you flip it on its head, and this is not just a one-sided friendship of what Jesus does for us. Because friendship is mutual, isn't it? Like Friendship isn't just Jesus being our friends and us doing whatever we want to do. He's saying this is what friendship looks like. So if you want to be my friend, your life's going to look like sacrifice. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your desires before me and pick up mine. Not everything you feel is valid and truthful and best for your flourishing. You've got to lay some of those desires down before him. Friendship with Jesus looks like sacrifice. I promise you it's not greater than the sacrifice that he has done for you. Friendship with Jesus looks like time. That invitation to abide as as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. You abide in his love as you come together to worship. You abide in his love as you make time devotionally to spend time with him. You can't develop deep friendships with somebody who you're not willing to spend time with. You can't develop a deep friendship with Jesus unless you're willing to spend time with Him. It doesn't matter how much time He wants to spend with you. You have to choose to spend time with Him. Friendship with Jesus looks like honesty. Do you know I love the fact that a lot of the Psalms that David wrote or crying out his frustration. I think we try to sanitize our prayers too much. We just say the things that we think God will want to hear. But actually, there's something about weeping into your pillow all night to God. There's something about crying out in anger and frustration to God. There's something about about seeing the secularization of the community around us. There's something about seeing abuse happening. There's something about seeing the rise in poverty happening and crying out to God in anger, righteous anger and frustration. There has to be an honesty on our part as well. And a vulnerability and a partnership. We're invited to be friends with the living God. A two-way friendship. But let me flip it again. If you're note-taking, if you're Bible-following, have a look at verse 17, right towards the end of this passage. John 15, verses 1 through to 16, is talking about how much God loves us and about the friendship that he invites us into and what it looks like for God to be friends with us, what it looks like for us to be connected in friendship with God, what that loving friendship looks like. And then he says, this is my command, love each other. So after talking so much about the, the dynamics of our, this relationship, he then says, okay, now love each other. Now love each other. Now love each other. What if Jesus in these verses is not simply revealing what friendship with him is to be like, but actually is modeling what it looks like to have deep Christian friendships with one another? What if these words is not simply for the disciples and for us to think through the, the vertical dynamic of friendship, but actually it's a model for how we're to translate that into the horizontal dimension of friendship. I went to university um, when I was 19, 18, 19, and my first day in halls at Colerain University, I bumped into a guy who was sharing the halls with me. His name was Michael Wiley, and Michael was a footballer. I was a rugby player, Michael was a wee steak hard lad from Carrick. I was a country bumpkin in a Czech shirt and brown shoes from Market Hill. We had nothing in common. He spoke with a Belfast accent. I had the kind of country drawl thing going on. We had nothing in common. He was studying, I think, Spanish and history. I was doing business and IT. We had nothing in common. He was ridiculously tall and skinny. I was kind of short and stocky and slightly overweight. We had nothing in common until standing in the kitchen, I said to him, here, listen, I'm on freshers week going to go to the CU because I'm a Christian. And he said, funny, I'm a Christian too. I'm going to go to the CU as well. I said, do you want to go together? Yeah, we walked in, so it was like little and large. You know. We, we walked into the CU together and 20 four years later, he continues to be one of my best friends. We discovered that we had nothing in common except Jesus, and then discovering we had Jesus in common, we discovered we had so much more in common. And actually, our friendship, earth in Jesus, transcended the differences we had about ideas and about sport and about commonalities. And he continues to be one of my best friends to this day. He'll be annoyed I call him a uh, a carrick steak but he was he was as we think about friendship it's interesting because in psychology there's been tons and tons of work done in the past few years around the psychology of friendship about contact theory about about how to meet people how to make friends what happens in your mind and your body as you come into a room full of strangers, and, and who you gravitate towards, and why you, you gravitate towards them, and, and the role of attraction within that, and the role of eye contact within that, all of those different things. There's been loads of studies into why friendship is important for humanity, how we're not meant to exist in isolation from one another. There's been loads of studies into the benefits of friendship, the the, the health benefits, the mental health benefits, the, the psychological benefits of friendship. And then more recently, again, there's been studies starting to emerge on the effect of COVID on our friendships and on our ability to develop new friendships and to sustain deep friendships that were there before. And how isolation has has not just Physically separated us, but has actually narrowed our friendship groups. That we haven't kept in touch with as many people as widely. And, and the people we, as we emerge out of COVID, who we are choosing to. Socialise with tend to be people who swim in the same streams as we do, who are very, very like us. And we're losing something of the diversity and the richness of having a wide range of friendships. Part of that is, is fed by insecurity, and part of that is fed by fear of rejection. There's been two really interesting studies that are starting to produce information. One is the the direct correlation on the back of the pandemic between the role of friendship and human contact and intimacy and our mental health. That's not a big stretch to to see where that's going. And the other is on the impact of babies born in COVID not being able to go to things like like parent-toddler groups and, you know, mummy massage classes and all those, you know, toddler dance club, all those things there. There hasn't been the same social interaction for newborn babies and toddlers in the past couple of years. In 1923, there was a, a Jewish theologian called Martin Buber who wrote a book called I Am Thou. I Am Thou. And he talked about I-it friendships. Like, i as a person and then viewing other people as its, what we talked about earlier, as commodities. You are what you can do for me. You are your success. You are a value. I, it, friendships. And he said, actually, it's much healthier to think not of I it, but of I thy friendships. This is older language, so so bear that in mind. I thy friendships. That Jesus recognizes the uh, image of day in each one of us. That each person is created in the image of God. Each person, whether they're a Christian or not, has God's fingerprints all over them. Each person is uh, a complex mixture of beauty and brokenness formed both in obedience and rebellion to God as he formed us from the dust and breathed life into us. We are God's creation. And if Jesus can see the I thou in our friendships then surely we should see other people as beautifully created in the image of God no matter how diverse, no matter how different, no matter how how broken they are, they're still created in the image of God. And that's a starting place for any relationship, any interaction, any friendship. And then he talks about the space in between the I and the thou as a sacred space where we get to encounter Jesus, myself, thou being Glenn, and the Jesus in between us. And just for the last couple of moments this morning, I want us to think about that sacred space between each and every one of our friendships through this John 15 lens that we've been talking about. What does sacrifice look like in our friendships? Because I think this is what Jesus is talking about, that Christian friendships operate on a different level. What does sacrifice look like in our friendships. You know that verse 13, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends, that was misquoted significantly during war times. Trying to turn that idea of friendship into duty. But Jesus is talking about something much more profound, much, much deeper, and, and, and much, much harder. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down your life, to sacrifice yourself for your friend. Any one of us would be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the, for the, the care and the comfort of another. By sac- I don't necessarily mean to die for it, but I mean to sacrifice what you're planning to do. If you find out one of your friends had cancer, you would stop what you're doing, you would bake a lasagna, you would go around, you would pray with them, you would, spend, you would do whatever, you would cut the grass for them, you would inconvenience yourself to love and serve them, wouldn't you? It's not rhetorical. Yeah, of course you would. I, I, I know most of you, of course, you'd bend over backwards, you'd move heaven and earth. You would sacrifice yourself massively. But that same sacrificial lens, what does it look like when somebody hurts you? When somebody betrays your friendship? When somebody says something or does something? What does sacrifice look like between the I and the thou in those moments? Because. The temptation is to hold on to our pain and the temptation is to to be entitled, to feel that pain. My, My human rights have been impinged upon. They have hurt me. They have betrayed me. And yet if the model for friendship is sacrifice, where Jesus laid down his life so that sin did not come between us and him, what does it look like to lay down our entitlement and allow forgiveness to fill that space? That the sacred space between our friendships looks like sacrifice. That the sacred space between our friendships looks like time. One of my friends, he, he says, and I, I think I would agree with him, not, not all the time on this, but, but I, I think there's something in it. He says, women do friendship really well face to face. Blokes do friendship really well side by side. Now, it's obviously dangerous when you do gender-specific illustrations like that there, so I, I put it out there with that caveat. But, but there is something in that, that that blokes sometimes struggle to sit down face-to-face. Dan, how are you feeling? You doing okay. But I can say, do you want to go for a walk, game of golf, or run, and have the same conversation in movements? I think it's because women are just much more evolved than we are. It's not always true. I quite like face-to-face friendships. But my friend who, who, who said that to me, him and I um, will run together, try to do it once a week, and we have deep, deep friend conversations in the course of that running together. And it's not actually about the running, it's about doing life and doing friendship together. The running's just a vehicle for doing deep, deep friendship together. But without the time spent together, without that commitment to be with one another, the friendship wanes. The friendship between I and you, the sacred space between me and you, has to look like time, doesn't it? The sacred space between me and you has to look like honesty. I, I ask you guys this all the time, but, but who in your life has permission to call you on stuff? Who has proximity to your heart that they can see when you're struggling and say, you seem tired today? Or that thing you said in that meeting just, it wasn't like you. It didn't feel like the thing Jesus would say. Who in your life gets to call you on stuff? In the context of loving friendship, who gets to be honest with you? That guy I run with, when we run, he'll ask me, Gareth, how's your heart? He'll ask me, what are you spending your money on at the minute? He'll ask me, how's your devotional rhythms? He'll ask me, what are you looking at online? And it's not about judgment. It's not about condemnation. It's about a space where I can be honest and he can be praying for me during the week to help me to walk closer with Jesus. Friendship and honesty in friendship is a vehicle to our sanctification. And then, in terms of vulnerability, what does that look like in our friendships? Do you have somebody that you can trust your dreams to? That you can trust your your disappointments to, that you can take the things that that sit in your heart on, on that on that knife edge between this is the thing I think would fulfil me the most, but it's also if it goes wrong, could be the thing that makes me feel most vulnerable and most exposed. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm doing a, a training course at the minute called Forge. And it's thinking through what it looks like to do discipleship well in church and what it looks like to do mission really well as a church and as a church leader. And what it looks like to plant ministries that reach the lost who just don't want to come to church. And and it's thinking through what it looks like to plant churches as well. And we're talking about this in session and trying to figure out what this stuff looks like and, and, and means for us as a church. And and are we being asked as a church to, to help people to plant new ministries to reach the lost? And are we being asked as a church to maybe even plant a church? And we don't know. We're, we're, we're trying to pray through this. I'm sharing with you to pray through as well. But, but that's one of those things that exists on a knife edge between falling over into... That could be really fulfilling and life-giving, but also it could, makes me feel really vulnerable to do something that far out of my comfort zone for me and for us. And I share that with you just as an illustration of who do you trust your dreams to? Who's praying with you and for you into those vulnerable places in your life? And then finally, partnership. Can we throw up this one more slide of the triangle on it? I think. Yes, there is. Excellent. Partnership. We get the friendship aspect that's kind of the up-down. We've talked loads about that. But there's also a horizontal aspect of friendship. And I, I want to just finish with this this little diagram. Mike Breen is a church leader over in England. Isn't he, Gary? Yeah? Um, and he he uses this illustration as a, a lens for what church should look like, as a lens for what ministries should look like as a lens for what discipleship in my life and your life should look like. And there should be three components to it. There should be an up component that connects us with Jesus. There should be an in component that connects us with one another. And there should be an out component that is a missional call to great commission living, to love and to serve the least, the lost and the lonely, and to bring them to Jesus. And actually, any church that struggles not to have all three of those elements struggles to be at church. Any individual that doesn't have those three elements in your life as a Christian struggles in your discipleship. And it's, the, the up one's easy. We, we get that. We've talked loads about that. But the in and the out one. And I share this with you. There's this tension in Orangefield. I'm here now almost four years, and I see this tension in us as a church family. And it's some people in Orangefield really want to do church family really well. We, we, we want to do stuff together and be together and pray together and worship together and do community fundest and to do life together and we'll do a hog roast and we'll do tea and coffee. And there's the family aspect, isn't there? And we love that. And then there's others in Orangefield who who want to do mission really well and put all our resources into how do we do stuff in Orby and Klondorf and Clarowood and down into the inner city. And and then how do we do stuff in in Athens and in Uganda and in India and in other parts of the world where we've got mission projects, Rwanda. And some of us are are predisposed to doing the in stuff really well. That's that's our heart's call. And some of us are predisposed to doing the out stuff really well. And that's our heart's call call. And actually, that tension I've come to see is actually a really, really healthy thing. Because those of us who want to just do the missional stuff need brought back into the friendship and the church family and to love and do deep relationships well. And those of us who who just love doing the church family stuff all the time need to be stirred up and inspired and brought out and focused outwards. And it's not that one's right and one's wrong, but we need both. And as we think about friendship as partnership, it's with the people that we love and do life with and trust that we are being called to do ministry and mission with as well. We are a family on mission. We are a family on mission. And that's why our four values, if we look over here, we're going to finish with this, our four values, presence and word. We, we connect with God. We allow Him to connect with us. People, we care for one another. We are family together. World, we love our neighbours. This is the paradigm for our discipleship and this is the paradigm for our church. And we need each one of you, with your heart being pulled in one of those directions, to lean in and lead in and help the rest of us hold that tension together. Does that make sense? Let's pray. as we bring our service into land. Father, as we come to you in prayer now, recognizing you are here with us, that your desire is that we go deeper in our friendships with you, that your desire is that we go deeper in our friendships with each other, And it's in the place of of friendship that that we grow and come to life. I simply want to pose some questions. And I pose them to us as the congregation and in the contemplative space that follows, you turn those into your prayer and your commitment. In this picture of friendship, Do you need to connect more? Do you need to connect into a home group? Or with some people? Do you need to connect more as the pandemic left you feeling isolated? Or are you aware of people who... Who seem to be on their own, who seem to be lonely? Do you need to reach out to them and invite them into friendship? And then, secondly, do you need to repent? Maybe your friendships and your relationships around church all feel really functional. You know, here's a litmus test for you. You know everything that person can do to make the team that you serve in in church better, but you don't know the name of their cat or their dog. Do you need to repent of that functionality and friendship to God, maybe even to them as well? And then finally, do you need to invest? that you have people in your life, but you keep them at an arm's length. You keep the conversation superficial, but you don't allow deepness. You don't allow proximity because you don't want to be exposed and vulnerable. Maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe you're just scared of getting hurt. But the invitation into friendship with Jesus is an invitation as well into deeper friendship with each other. As we sing, Lord, continue to speak to us, continue to challenge us, continue to lead us deeper into a shared life with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.